Welcome to the Mind Body Breakthroughs Podcast, where we bring you amazing guests on the cutting edge of science, health, and business each week to share strategies you can use to get the breakthrough that you are looking for in your life. I am your host, Chris Donahue, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Nevada Gray. We're so glad that you're joining us today, and we'd like to invite you to join our free, private Facebook community, Mind Body Breakthroughs. The views expressed on the Mind Body Breakthroughs podcast are the opinions of the hosts and guests and are not to be taken as medical advice, as the hosts and guests do not provide medical care. Information provided is for educational purposes only. You should consult your medical provider in relation to your personal health and prior to making any changes in your diet or fitness. Dr. Stephen Hussey is a chiropractor and functional medicine practitioner. He attained both his doctorate of chiropractic and master's in human nutrition and functional medicine from the University of Western States in Portland, Oregon. He is the author of two books on health, The Health Evolution, Why Understanding Evolution is the Key to Vibrant Health, and The Heart, Our Most Medically Misunderstood Organ. Dr. Hussey guides clients, or health participants, as he likes to call them, from around the world back to health by using the latest research and health-attaining strategies. In his downtime, he likes to be outdoors, playing sports, reading, writing, and spending time with his wife and their pets. Proud affiliate of Redmond Real Salt, the best-tasting and most mineral-rich salt on the market without the microplastics and other issues of conventional salts. See the show notes for 15% off your order. Hi, Dr. Hussey. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. All right. Well, I know that you have a lot of uh, really interesting things that you are working on and a lot of areas that I think our listeners are going to find very interesting. Why don't, for those that don't, don't know you, why don't you take five, 10 minutes and tell us a little bit about yourself and about your work? Yeah. So uh, I'm a chiropractor and I also have a master's degree in human nutrition and functional medicine. Uh, so I practice chiropractic, uh, very traditional chiropractic. Uh, and then I also do online health coaching where I help people uh, achieve higher levels of health. I, I tend to focus on people with heart issues and with autoimmune issues as well. And I do that because of uh, personal experience, I guess. So um, as a child, I was a very inflamed child, I guess. Uh, I had all kinds of things like IBS. I used to break out in chronic hives all over my body, like to be as big as my stomach. Uh, I had terrible allergies. Um, I ended up with the autoimmune disease type 1 diabetes, uh, diagnosed at age 9. And um, so dealing with all these inflammatory conditions and, you know, we relied on, on Western medicine, my parents and I, to help us get through uh, those or at least manage those. But as I grew up and started getting, uh, you know, health and then medical educations, uh, I started to realize that there was much more to what was going on than what I had been told or um, and much more that I could do about it. Uh, than what I have been told. And so I remember as a kid going into the endocrinologist every, you know, three to six months and there'd be posters up there that said, you know, diabetics are 
two to four more times likely to get heart disease and you know your eyes will go bad and your kidneys will go bad and you know your your legs or your feet and your hands will go numb and uh when i asked the doctors why that was it was says they, they would say it was because of vascular damage and so you know throughout my life i've just been you know really in tune with anything to do with the heart uh, and cardiovascular health because i want to do everything i can to prevent that kind of stuff from happening and i can say now that um you know and i'm always learning but i can say pretty confidently now that i'm, I'm not afraid of, of that disease uh because of what i learned and what i found so that's me awesome awesome well that is uh that is really cool and i think that it is you know something that so many people are dealing with i know uh myself in Nevada, we've had uh, loved ones that we've lost to heart disease. And there is so much misunderstanding. Why don't you take just a few moments and tell us like, what are, what are some of the big areas of misunderstanding, the major myths that are out there right now regarding heart disease? Yeah, I think, well, the biggest one, uh, the, the most obvious one is, is the whole uh, saturated fat and cholesterol causing heart disease. You know, that started back in, you know, the 1950s when Ansel Keys um, had some very um, bold conclusions based on very poor science, I would say, uh, about saturated fat and cholesterol in the diet and um, it being, you know, correlated with heart disease or heart attacks. Um, and now he did, you know, a lot of epidemiology, which is very um, hard to draw conclusions from. You can't really you know, prove causation, you can only improve uh, association with that. Yet it became the conventional wisdom uh, for whatever reason, whether he was just a very influential person or uh, he had a lot of financial backing. I don't know all the ins and outs of it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that became the conventional wisdom. And, you know, when we when we've studied it clinically since then, um, and there's a lot of examples that, that, that throw that theory into question. Um, but when we study it, you know, clinically now we see that there's been absolutely no correlation uh, with elevated uh, cholesterol or dietary saturated fat and cholesterol in the diet and um, heart disease or heart attacks. Um, and so just very interesting things. I mean, there was, a, there was a doctor named George Mann who studied the Maasai people in Africa and, you know, their diets are pretty much milk and blood and, and meat. And they had, you know, they had some, when he did autopsies on some of the ones that died, um, he found some atherosclerosis, but no evidence of heart attacks ever. He never found one, um, yet that was their whole diet. And uh, when we look at, uh, you know, the work of Weston Price and how all the populations that he studied, these people were eating high saturated fat, animal heavy diets, and, you know, they had no heart disease or at least, uh, you know, a fraction of any kind of heart disease that we have in Western societies. Um, and then when, like I said, we look at, you know, all this, um, you know, systematic reviews of all the literature of saturated fat and cholesterol in the diet, uh, and if it is associated with um, increased risk of heart disease, uh, absolutely none. Um, they haven't shown a convincing correlation or causation at all. Uh, so that's a, that's a huge myth. Um, but the thing is, the other thing that, that Ansel Keys did uh, that's uh, the other aspect of this is it's kind of along the same lines is that um, that LDL cholesterol is the best marker to be looking for uh, when it comes to heart disease. Uh, and so, you know, again and again, we've showed that 
research has showed that that's not the best market to be looking for. At least it's not a really good uh, correlation, you know. Um, but then they've gone through all these different uh, nuances of lipidology, um, which is, you know, the ApoB and the, um, all the different HDL and the, and the triglycerides and all these different, you know, factions. As we've been able to study it more and more and more, uh, we found all these different things we can measure. And in my opinion, I think we're just going down this rabbit hole that um, uh, that's not helping us at all. I mean, we've seen what happens or we've seen what has happened since we've gone down that rabbit hole. And we've, we've kind of broken down all these different aspects of cholesterol. It's, it's not really helping us fight the disease. The disease keeps rising. Uh, and so I think that we need to broaden our um, approach uh, to that and, and open our um, open our eyes a little bit and realize that heart attacks uh, are not caused by high cholesterol. They're not caused by um, blockages of coronary arteries. Um, those are not good things to have. Uh, they, that uh, heart attacks are not directly caused by that. So those are some of the, the major myths, in my opinion. So I wanted to ask how you go about helping empower your patients to get over the barriers and the preconditioning that we've had for decades now uh, in the low fat, uh, fear of saturated fat, fear of cholesterol. Mm -hmm. um, how, how do you help uh, patients that you coach get over those barriers, especially uh, where they're reading conflicting information in the press and also receiving information at their doctor's office that may be in conflict to what they're reading and seeing in the ketogenic communities. So how, yeah. how do you bridge that gap? Yeah. So, um, I'll give you, uh, I guess one example. So way back when I, when I first started practicing, I was in Ireland, I worked in Ireland for a few years and I remember going out to the community and doing these talks. And I was doing this one talk at a, a library and I had a good turnout and I was like surprised cause you know, I didn't think anybody was going to show up, but, um, we were sitting there talking, and I was talking about food and um, talking about um, how fat's not bad and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and this one guy spoke up, and he said, um, uh, he said, well, you know, my doctor tells me that I need to be eating oatmeal every single day and that that's going to be lowering my cholesterol and that's going to be heart healthy for me. And, I, and, I, and I, I don't know why I said it at the time, but I was just like, is it working? And it was kind of direct, but I could tell that, that directness kind of got the guy to think and he was like well no you know like I'm still struggling I'm still having they're still put me on a stat and my cholesterol is still high and so I think just um helping people realize that that you know what's being recommended to them um is not working you know and for some people it does lower cholesterol but they don't feel any better you know if they go on a statin drug and so I think really getting people to understand that you know, it may be what, you know, the authoritative figure is telling you to do, but you have to think about, it. does it make sense? Like, because if it's not working for you, if it's not getting you the desired result, then, you know, we need to start looking elsewhere. And then lots of people, you know, make that realization on their own and they go into, you know, the internet and they find all these different things and it's very conflicting and, um, you know, their family members worry about them if they start eating, you know, a higher fat diet or, or changing things that are not supposedly heart healthy. Um, and I, and I usually give them that example of, of Ansel Keys's work and how it was, 
it was not um, backed by science. And so we have this we have this conventional wisdom that is not backed by science. And so and now those of us in this ketogenic community are having to almost fight against this thing that was never really backed in science to begin with. And it, it's just crazy to me. And so I think when people start to realize that, they start to realize that, you know, oh, this has all been, you know, kind of this, this false assumption uh, that was pushed through because of, for whatever reason, uh, and maybe it's not true. Uh, and so then I, give them, I start giving them the examples of, you know, societies that have lived this way or, um, uh, you know, research that shows that there's no correlation and people just slowly start to get over it. But it, it does take time, I feel. Um, and, I, you know, the, the first part of my coaching is, um, you know, there's this three-pronged ap approach that I take to, to helping people um, prevent heart attacks. And um, the first one is getting them keto adapted. And it, it's obviously, or it's oftentimes the, the longest one because they do have to get over this information that they've been fed their whole life, that it's, that it, the saturated fat's bad for them and, and cholesterol is bad for them. And, and, you know, sometimes I put them on this diet and it, and their cholesterol goes up because some people that happens um, initially or even stays that way. And I, I have to slowly give them information, keep giving it to them. Um, and uh, it's kind of this this process. But uh, so far, it's all worked out well. Could you actually speak um, briefly as to why the cholesterol may go up initially on a ketogenic diet? Because I also see that as another barrier in the community that when that happens, to people that are having success on the keto diet and then they go to their doctor and have some blood work and their cholesterol is elevated, that tends to become a barrier and fear arises mm -hmm. again. And some people quit the ketogenic diet over, over that. So I think that's another misconception. And I'm just wondering if you could address that for our listeners as well. Yeah. So initially uh, it can go up um, or it could even stay up. Um, and to me, uh, that's not an issue. Um, provided the rest of the blood work looks the way we want it to. But the reason it does that is because, um, you know, these these molecules that we're measuring in our cholesterol, they're carrying these fatty acids um, to different tissues in our body. And whenever we're trying to um, burn fat for fuel, we're trying to teach our body to burn more fat for fuel, um, and it's not really used to doing that yet, then it's not it's not the best at distributing that, that fatty acid to the tissue yet because the body doesn't have quite the demand for it. And so sometimes we can see the cholesterol gets elevated in the blood because the body's just not burning the lipids that it needs to yet. Um, and eventually it comes back down. Uh, and then there's a certain percentage of population that it, it kind of stays elevated. But again, you know, elevated LDL um, or LDLC in the blood is not a problem if we have low markers of inflammation uh, if we have um, normal triglycerides, if we have high HDL, uh, and we have low markers of you know oxidative stress and um, and low insulin resistance or no insulin resistance or things like that, which also can take time to um, the body can also take time to get those levels normal as well. Um, but yeah, initially it's all about energy transportation, uh, and so that's what these uh, lipoproteins, these things that carry fatty acids in our blood, do they're transporting uh, the energy. And if we don't know how to use it quite yet, uh, or adapting to using it, it can appear elevated. Um, but, you know, people, there's studies that show that people who have elevated cholesterol or higher than normal cholesterol live longer. Um, so I, I'm not so sure that it's a bad thing that it's elevated. I mean, I'm one of those that's 
you know, this, this, what Dave Feldman would call a hyper responder. Um, so my, my cholesterol is, is pretty high and, um, I'm, I'm pretty okay with that. Um, the thing I, uh, I'm always trying to, um, uh, regulate, which is hard for me is the insulin resistance because it's hard for me to measure that number because I'm type one diabetic. So I don't have this normal response. My body's not making insulin. Uh, I'm controlling that whole thing. So it's hard for me to tell if I'm insulin resistant or not. I'm pretty sure that I'm not, but it's just the numbers don't always come out like they're supposed to in a normal person because um, I'm type one. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's so important, you know, as we uh, in this community find out that a lot of the normal parameters, they just don't apply. Things are a little bit different when you're on a very strict ketogenic or a carnivore diet. And uh, it's one of our mantras here on this show is to chase results and not dogma and to mm-hmm. be courageous enough to follow the evidence wherever it leads. And it's really cool that you've done that. I was wondering if you can tell us like along the way with your journey here, what were some uh, adversities that you came up against and what, what were some of the strategies that you used then and that you still use uh, to deal with adversity? Uh, you mean like, my personal journey, my personal health journey. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the biggest ones is, has been dealing with, with, um, practitioners. Um, I, I shouldn't say dealing with them, but you know, going with them and seeing practitioners, um, eventually it became dealing with them. But at first it was just, uh, it was just information I was getting from them and I was relying on them to, to lead me to health. And I remember, God, I must have been 19 years old, uh, and they wanted to put me on lisinopril, which is blood pressure medication. And my blood pressure was 112 over 72 at the time of the visit, which was completely normal. Uh, and they wanted to do it to protect my kidneys, so to speak, because I'd been diabetic for however many years at that time. Uh, you know, 12 to 15 years or so. And that was the standard of care. They wanted to protect my kidneys. And so, um, you know, when I when I didn't go fill the prescription, and then when I came back the next time, they asked me if I did it, the doctor got agitated. And at the time, I didn't I didn't understand why he was agitated. I was like, I just didn't want to. My, my blood pressure was fine. My kidneys seemed to be fine. Um, and, and now I, now that I'm, uh, you know, a practicing chiropractor, and I have patients, and I understand when they're not compliant and I understand the frustration sometimes with me. I can understand how he, you know, became agitated or, or got frustrated with me. Um, but at the same time, uh, he, that's how he was trained. He was trained to give medications and I was being non-compliant and he was frustrated. And so it was, it was, you know, having to, um, you know, have those conversations in the office of why I didn't necessarily want to do that. Not knowing what I know now, that was, that was hard because, um, because I didn't have the information I have now. And so I couldn't show them and say, look, and so a lot of what I try and do is because when I'm health coaching, you know, I still want my clients to have, you know, their primary care or their cardiologist, whoever they go see, I want them to have that person. Um, and I, and now I know the importance of arming them with the information to show them that they're show their doctor that what they're doing is, is science-based that it works uh, and that it's and it's helping them feel better and you know giving that laying that out for them um, I think again 
let's see, when I was actually probably just like three years ago, um, I, uh, I, I went to see uh, another endocrinologist and they wanted to put me on a statin drug, uh, even though my cholesterol was fine at the time. And again, it was for prevention. That was the standard of care for anybody who'd been diabetic longer than I have. I need to be on a statin drug. Uh, and when I, when I told her that uh, I didn't want to do that because of this, this, and this, and this was only a few years ago, so I was much more knowledgeable about the subject, um, she was very uh, upset with me, or not upset with me, but she was, I guess, offended um, because... She, I think her, her words were, I didn't, I didn't come in today to be, uh, to be schooled by, by a chiropractor. And I was like, oh, well, okay. And so I just, I was just like, all right, you know, that's fine. You know, we'll agree to disagree. Um, but I'll let you know that I'm, I'm not going to take a statin drug. Uh, and she was like, well, I can't make you. And so we just kind of, you know, but instead of, she was clearly not going to entertain the information that I had to offer. Um, and I was, I go to them because I need insulin. Uh, and so I have to go to someone who's going to prescribe me insulin. Uh, and so, you know, those are, those are types of barriers that I've had to get over. And, uh, lots of times it's, it's been, you know, having to have that, you know, calm confidence, like, uh, and not getting, um, worked up about it, even though it's frustrating for me to, to hear them say, just because they've been told to say it, you need to be on a statin drug because of, because you've been diabetic for this long, even though there's absolutely no reason for you to be on one. Um, it's frustrating for me, and I want to tell them, you know, uh, why that shouldn't be or, or why they should think twice about that. Um, but sometimes I just have to say, okay, you know, agree to disagree and move on. And I, and I, and I tell clients that as well. You know, you're going to, your doctor may respond to this well, uh, they may not. And so you have to know when to, you know, you know, pick those battles uh, and when, and it may just be giving the doctor information and maybe they go check it out. Maybe they don't. Uh, but that's been a barrier for me. Um, and then I think another big barrier has been how to regulate blood sugar the best that I can without having gotten any, you know, real, um, uh, medical advice. So working my way through that. And I'll tell people that the, that the biggest things that I've done are one ketogenic diet. I mean, obviously fat has no effect on blood sugar. Um, but also surprisingly, the, the big one for me, the one that really took me to the next level was, um, avoiding lectins. That was huge. And I have no idea why I couldn't tell you a mechanism why I could speculate as to why, but, when I got those out of my diet, like completely, at least, you know, especially the higher lectin foods, the really high ones, um, it was just like blood sugars were simple, you know, it was just so easy. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely. I think the barriers that you just uh, spoke to, a lot of patients struggle with in speaking with their doctors, especially when they've spent some time empowering themselves and figuring out what works best for them and where they're getting the result. And then they come up against an authority figure that may give them pushback in the office. What would you say are the main talking points um, that you would advise a client in speaking with a doctor that may be completely resistant to what the patient has to say and regarding 
what they feel is best for them as far as not taking the statin. Uh, because patients and listeners listening to this right now are probably wondering, what exactly did you say or how can you um, still have a great relationship with your primary care doctor, but stand up for yourself at the same time? What yeah. would you say is the main talking point or just a sentence or a, a means to just open that conversation with, with I, the prescriber? I think that at first you need to kind of assess the ego in the room. I mean, they could come at you with a huge ego and be like, no, you're absolutely wrong. And at that point, I would almost suggest seeking out a new doctor. Um, now, if they if they are a little bit um, receptive to what you're doing and and they're they're more willing to help or willing to let you participate in your health, which they should be doing anyways, then I would I would I would almost you know, put the, keep the ball in their court. You know, I would, I would say, instead of coming at them saying, well, I know this, I know that and blah, blah, blah. Like I would say, Hey, could you look into this for me? You know, like, could you, could you look into ketogenic diets and see if there's any benefit for, for me? Because then it, then it, 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 it makes them still the authority figure. Like you're not the one telling them how to do their job. You're, and, and they may go and look into it and they may say, well, you know, next time you see them, they may say, well, I found this about it, this about it. And you can say, okay, well, I found this about it. Like, does that match up with what you saw? And it's just like, it's almost like you're just, I, I think that this is just the way people are in general, no matter if you're talking to your doctor or whatever. Like, if you if you come at them, um, like, you know more than them. They're just not going to be receptive, especially if it's their their workplace, it's their job, you know. And so I would I would approach it that way. And and then um, I think that, that, most doctors respond really well to to research um, and so you know familiarizing yourself with a little bit of research um, clinical trials are best um, so look for things in the in the um, in the title that say you know causal relationship because um, those are the only ones that we know are randomized controlled trials that it says causal instead of association or things like that um, and just and just kind of show them and, and have this conversation and see if your doctor will learn together with you um, while always keeping them the authority figure. I think that that works really well. And and the best part about that, I think, is that is that not only are you helping your relationship with your doctor and, and your care that you're getting, you're probably helping other people's care as well because now that doctor is more open to that. And the next time someone comes in who is is not as didn't do it as well as you did you know and and present this information the doctor's not offended because they've already they've already been through this with you they know the information um so i like to think of it that way it's not just helping you and your doctor's relationship and your health it's helping a lot of other people as well yeah that's awesome i think that's good advice for dealing with uh people in a wide wide array of, of yeah. situations um <laughs> I just really quickly, you had mentioned your top three advice to your to your clients uh, to prevent a heart attack. The first was being fat adapted. What was mm -hmm. number two and three? Two and three. Uh, number two is reducing oxidative stress, uh, which which basically just means that we're reducing the amount of um, free radical damage that can happen to our body. 
So, you know, when things get exposed to to oxygen in certain ways, like when bronze turns green, like the Statue of Liberty, or when iron rusts, um, that kind of process can also happen in our bodies. Um, and so, uh, reducing the the uh, the oxidative stress that we have on our bodies is very key in preventing heart attacks. Uh, and then the third one is is regulating our stress response. So making sure we have balance in our autonomic nervous system. Um, so the fat burning, the oxidative stress, and an imbalanced autonomic nervous system or imbalanced stress response are the three things that are driving heart attacks. And they, they come together and when this series of events kind of happens and the stars align, we get a heart attack. Um, and, you know, I've, I've traced out exactly how that happens. And so, you know, markers of those three things are the things we should be measuring uh, of whether someone's at risk for a heart attack, not LDL cholesterol. I mean, there are certain parts of cholesterol that we can we can look at and see if someone's inflamed or has oxidative stress and that kind of stuff. Um, we see damaged cholesterol, but um, that those aren't the key things we should be looking for when we're, we're trying to determine if someone's at high risk for a heart attack. So you had mentioned stress. A lot of times when we are diagnosed with an illness or, or start not feeling our best and we go visit our doctor and the doctor can't find anything and they chalk it up to stress. And then we're like, oh, they say I'm stressed. But yet we're still looking for a physical cause of what's occurring. Can you speak to how stress uh, physically can cause a heart attack, the mechanism for that. So that way uh, people can kind of have an understanding of what, uh, quote, unquote, stress um, actually does to the body. Yeah, so, so yeah, I got to lay a foundation though. So um, there was, there's a researcher named Stephen Porges who's come out with his polyvagal theory. So we have the vagus nerve, which is one of our cranial nerves. Uh, which is communicating, basically our, our autonomic nervous system is interpreting our environment and telling us if we're in a stressful environment or we're in a non-stressful environment, a safe or threatening environment. And um, our vagus nerve is how the brain communicates and, and how the body communicates back to the brain um, these signals. And so what we see is that, you know, we're taking this way back, you know, way back to when, you know, mammals weren't even around yet. And we had some reptiles, and even before reptiles, they had this one pathway of the vagus nerve um, called the dorsal motor nucleus. And what happened when, when that animal was under stress, whatever that animal was, um, it, the dorsal motor nucleus would literally shut the body down, um, different organ systems. And that was okay for these animals because they were, you know, uh, I guess, quote-unquote, cold-blooded. They were very metabolically slow creatures. And, um, and they could shut down and still survive. Now, eventually, you know, as evolution took place over time, we got reptiles. And in reptiles, we start to see the split of the vagus nerve. And then in mammals, we see this full-blown split of the vagus nerve. And so we have the dorsal motor nucleus that's still there. And we have the nucleus ambiguous, uh, which is this um, newly evolved mechanism. And so what that allowed us to do as mammals, since we're very metabolically active, quote-unquote, warm-blooded, um, it allowed us to have a stress response and not have this organ shut down, right? Because that would not work for us. You know, if we had an organ shut down, our organs need to be metabolically active all the time. And so that, um, it just wouldn't work for us. We, we wouldn't survive that, that stress response. Now, 
if we, and this is only one aspect of what heart attacks, what, what causes heart attacks, but if we, um, I'd say, live in a mismatch between our evolved physiology and our current way of life, meaning we're the only species who is smart enough and has the highest level of thinking um, uh, that we can think our way into a stress response. Uh, you know, we could we can literally see something happen to somebody else and be in no danger of it happening to us, but think we're it's going to happen to us and think our way into that stress response. Or we could have a stressful event happen to us, and even though we're safe now, we think about that stressful event all day long or for weeks or months afterwards. And so we stay in this heightened level of stress. Plus, we're, you know, we're living in unnatural environments. Um, we have all these um, unnatural stressors in our lives. Um, uh, and so that's leading to this imbalance in our stress response. We get stuck in this, um, this fight or flight or this, um, you know, our body gets stuck in this stress response mode. And it, and it kind of shuts down the other side of things. And so if, if, if that part of the nervous system gets uh, overstressed and then it shuts down the, the non-stressed state, we kind of revert back to that older evolved mechanism that we, that's still there, but it's just been covered up by this newer evolved you know, pathway of the vagus nerve. And when that gets shut down, it reverts back to the older one. And remember what happens in the older one, we get organ shutdown. And so um, that, to me, you know, that's that's one aspect, and that's kind of the, that's kind of the the triggering response, um, because you know when we're when we're not fat adapted and when we're not and we have a high level of oxidative stress, those kind of, those are kind of like the setting the stage, and if those things are happening and then we have this stress response, um, then we see we see heart attacks occur, and it's very very interesting. When we look at you know some studies, very interesting studies out there that show that heart attacks are more common on stressful days of the year. They're more common around holidays, and they're more common on Mondays, um, and that, you know, that's just when they happen. And so that just makes total sense. Um, and it's also interesting to to see that there's an association, just an association, um, between heart disease uh, and the number of heart attacks and um, the amount of greenness in someone's neighborhood so the amount of nature they're exposed to which is a very um stress relieving thing you know so there's all these kind of interesting studies um that that show that when we're doing things that balances this autonomic nervous system we have less risk uh, or we have less association or less incidence of, of of heart attacks and so to me in my head it makes complete sense but um you know everybody's so worried about ldl cholesterol and they're obsessed with that that they're ignoring this whole other, this whole other three things that are really driving heart attacks, but that's the stress aspect of it. So we have this imbalance in our autonomic nervous system because we're living our lives in a way, or our lives have changed so quickly um, that we're out of our natural environments, and it's driving this heightened stress response all the time. Right, right. Yeah, Doug, this is good stuff, and uh, we could talk about this all day, and we can't wait to have you back on so that we could dig dig a little deeper into some of these topics. Uh, I think a lot of our listeners are really going to uh, enjoy uh, searching into this and looking you know, to you as the heart coach and, and uh, watching some of your videos and YouTubes and things like that. One of the things that we ask all of our guests uh, – really quickly is who are you and what is the legacy that you would like to leave for the world? Uh, who am I? I guess, um, first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a, 
a patient. Uh, I've, I've always been my own, my own patient, uh, first. Uh, I never really, I don't think I've ever recommended anything to anybody before I tried it myself. Um, and I think that because of the experience I've had, um, that allows me to relate to the people I'm trying to help, uh, because I was probably in their shoes. So, um, yeah, so a patient and a, and a, um, I guess I'm also a student because I'm always learning. I mean, there's so much out there that I haven't learned yet. And so um, I'm, I'm always looking for the next best thing. And then what was the second part? The, the legacy that you want to leave for the world. I think, I think the legacy that I want to leave is, is that people have more control over their life and their health than they think. Uh, I want people to... When they when they think about you know what I did, uh, I wanted I wanted to be that I showed them that they had way more control over their life, especially their health, um, than uh, than they thought. And and this is one of the big themes of of my book is that when when human beings achieve health for themselves, we're also achieving health for the planet, because the things that the things that create health for us or the things we end up doing to create health for us are also end up being better for the planet. Uh, and so I, I, I'm um, really into, you know, the environment, the future of our species and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I think that I want, I want to relate the, my passion for health and my passion for um, the planet and our species together. And I want, I want people to think of me that way as well. Awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today. And can you let our listeners know where they can find you and all about your books and your coaching services? Yeah. So my website is resourceyourhealth.com. Uh, there's links to my book on there, but you can also find them on Amazon. Uh, the, it's called, uh, my, my main book is The Health Evolution. Why Understanding Evolution is a Key to Vibrant Health. And then I have a smaller ebook called The Heart, Our Most Medically Misunderstood Organ. And then I'm also on social media, um, somewhat reluctantly, but I am. And uh, it's um, an Instagram and Facebook is where I'm mostly active. And it's just Dr. Stephen Hussey, Dr. Stephen Hussey. Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll look forward to multiple parts because we're going to be making this a heart health series on the Mind Body Breakthrough podcast. So we will definitely be having you back to address uh, a lot of the heart myths and how we can overcome those barriers to achieve optimal health and return back to health and purpose. That sounds awesome. I can't wait. All right, Doc. We have a great night. We'll talk to you again here real soon. All right. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today, Mind Body Breakthrough. Chris and I truly appreciate each and every one of you. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend and to join us in our free Mind Body Breakthrough Facebook community where you can start peeling away the layers of everything that's not you so you can be you.